All right. Well, many of you know, uh, before I dive into the, uh, the message here, I, I just wanted to, uh, to share something real quick with you, and then we'll, we'll dive into the, uh, the message part of, uh, of this evening. Uh, many of you know we have two kids. Uh, Elijah is five, and uh, Gigi is almost three. And uh, in our household, on a regular basis, one of the things that we have to do is we regularly sort of have to uh, break up disagreements or disputes between them, you know, like... Um, we have to regularly help Elijah say, like, Gigi, I'm sorry that I said that you're always annoying and noisy and loud, you know, and, like, we have to walk through it, and he never really says it with, like, a lot of oomph and excitement, you know, it's always like, I'm sorry that I said you're annoying and loud, and, you know, and so that's how he goes through it, and Gigi, oftentimes, it'll be, like, with her, she'll have to say, like, I'm sorry, Elijah, that I took that Lego that you just spent the last six hours building and I threw it down on the hardwood floor and it smashed into 16 million pieces. I'm really sorry, you know, and so, so we have to work on this on a regular basis, you know, and help them go through the act of, of actually saying, I'm sorry for what I did. And, and part of the reason why we do that and part of the reason why probably your parents taught you uh, to say you were sorry when you, when you were a child is because we know that, you know, when we grow up and... And when we are adults, it's a helpful uh, practice to be able to know when you did something and, and you wished you wouldn't have done it and you say you're sorry. And uh, p- part of the reason why I tell you that story is because I actually want to exercise that right right now. Uh, last week uh, when we were gathering uh, and I was telling you about something that I did last Sunday, I, I mentioned that I was driving around the West Loop uh, yesterday, or last Sunday. And uh, as I was driving around the West Loop, one of the things that I said to you was, I couldn't believe that while I was driving, there was no other churches in the West Loop. And that statement is actually not a true statement. And I wanted to apologize for saying that to you, um, to, to each of you, because we know that there are, uh, there are other churches in the West Loop, and we know that uh, there, it, there are many churches, and it's going to require many churches to, to reach our city, to reach our neighborhood, to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus. And what I should have said was, as I was driving around, I didn't see any churches in the West Loop. Um, and I just wanted to, to bring that before you because uh, one of the things that we are deeply committed to uh, as a church is that we really do love what God is doing in this city and we want to partner with the other churches that are here. Uh, we have many friends that are pastors of churches in this city and, and it's very important to us and it's very important uh, that you hear me say um, that it is not our heart in any way to, to sound exclusive in any way. And so I just wanted to start uh, by saying that to you all. And uh, in fact, uh, what I'd love to do is pray for some of uh, these other churches, uh, especially as they step into uh, this very important week uh, leading up to Easter. So will you pray with me? God, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for the different churches um, that are represented in this city. And God, I thank you for churches like City View. I thank you for churches like Missio Day. I thank you for churches like the Painted Door and uh, Old St. Pat's and uh, Park Community Church and Chicago Tabernacle for Fellowship Church, uh, for the Painted Door. So many of these, these different churches, God, that uh, are so committed to you and they're so committed uh, to seeing your work um, advance in this city, God. And I pray your blessings on them. God, I pray that you would just pour resources onto them so that they can continue to extend the work of your transforming love, uh, the work of your gospel here in this city. And God, I pray now that uh, you would uh, speak through me. God, I pray that uh, nothing that I say over these next few moments um, would be a distraction from what it is ultimately that you want to say to us tonight, God. So I pray that your voice uh, would just literally echo through this room and that, God, you would uh, speak to us whatever it is that you want to say. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you have ever found yourself staying up uh, way too late at night watching an infomercial that you never thought you would find yourself watching. Um, And I'm not going to make you like put up your hand or something like that, but probably many of us have been in this situation where uh, we're flipping through, you know, the television and an infomercial like caught our attention and, and somehow it captivated us and like 
30 minutes goes by and 40 minutes goes by and an hour goes by and, and at some point, you know, some really excited person comes across the screen and, and they flash this number and they say, you know, it's only three easy installments of twenty nine ninety nine, and you're like, where is my phone? Where is my wallet? I must purchase this now. You know, and, and never in your life did you think you needed a chamois. Like, and, and somehow you're like, now I'm buying a chamois or, or you find yourself like watching P90X for far too long thinking like, if I just watch. Maybe it'll happen, you know, or, or I don't know about you. Uh, I have found myself captivated by the pajama jeans. I don't know if you've seen these and I wasn't captivated because I thought about purchasing. I was captivated because I thought who would purchase these? I mean, really who wants to wear a pair of jeans and have them be their pajamas at the same time. It just, it baffled me. But, you know, the thing is about an infomercial, part of the reason why we get sucked into it is because we actually start to believe, like, if I buy that, that might help me. You know, like, if I, if I have this product, life might be different. And, and, and the thing is, is that it, like, it draws us in and we, can't, and we just sort of feel like, I've got to buy And what I want to share with us over the next few moments, what we're about to to study, what we're about to dig into, um, and I say this in no sort of infomercial kind of way, I really do believe that it has the power to change our lives. I really do believe that what we're about to look at uh, when it comes to what Jesus taught on how it is that we are to pray, I believe that it has the potential to literally change everything about our lives. I believe that that what Jesus says about prayer, that if we begin to put it into practice tonight, that it has the potential to have every single one of us in a few moments walking out of this space entirely different. And I'm praying, I am praying that God will do that, that he will speak to us over the next few moments. Because I believe that the way that we pray changes the way that we live. That the way that we pray actually changes the way that we live. And we sort of all probably intuitively know that prayer, prayer is like, it's a conversation. It's not just like us talking at God or God talking at us. But when it comes to prayer, I think every one of us would agree that it would help if God would actually start to speak up. If he would like actually start to like, you know, step into his part of the conversation. Like if God would just like enunciate a little bit more, then maybe we would get, you know, an idea of what it is that he's trying to say. I mean, when we're praying, and I don't know if you feel this way, but my hunch is you do. But like when we're praying, some of us are just sort of like, God, if you would just clearly say, this is my will for your life, like Repeat after me, Lord. This is my will for your life. You know, and we're like, if God would just say it that clearly, it would help so much. And so that when we come to him, like with a question, or when we're like, God, I'm not sure what to do. If he would just say, this is my will for your life. Well, then when like friends would ask us, you know, like, how did you know you were supposed to take that job? We would say like, well, God told me so. You know, or how did you know you were supposed to marry her? Or how did you know you were supposed to marry him? We would be able to say, well, well God, God told me. God told me so clearly that I was supposed to marry them. Or, or how did you know that that's where you were supposed to live? Well, God told me that's where I was supposed to live. And the problem is that for so many of us, prayer doesn't tend to work like that. We have a hard time hearing God's voice. And sometimes we even have a hard time knowing how to talk to God. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Maybe it's like this happened to a friend of yours at some point, but maybe you've gotten yourself like all settled in and you know, it's like the end of the day and you're like, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to pray. You know, I'm, I'm going to even get on my knees. I'm going to quiet my mind, you know, and I'm going to say, okay, Lord, I really, really, really need some wisdom. If you would just speak to me, it would really, really help. And then you wake up like 20 minutes later and drools coming out of your mouth. And you're like, oh my gosh, I fell asleep on God. Like, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was praying and I fell asleep. Like, I'm sure that's never happened to any of you. I'm just speaking, you know, 
from somebody else's perspective, you know, so, so maybe you've fallen asleep in prayer and you can't believe it. Or, or maybe for you, it's been something else where you're like, you're like, okay, I'm going to quiet myself down. I'm going to get all the distractions out of the way. I'm going to turn off my cell phone. I'm going to turn off my computer. The TV's off. All distractions are gone, God. Okay. I need to know what you want me to do. And I'm going to be silent and I'm going to wait for you to speak. You just sort of sit there. Like five minutes go by, nothing happens. You're like, I wonder what I should have for dinner tonight. <laughs> then you're like, I wonder what I should wear to dinner tonight. That's a cute top. Yeah, I should, maybe I should wear that. Maybe he would want to go to dinner with me tonight. Or, you know, and, you, and you're literally, you're like thinking about an entirely different thing. And you're totally distracted. Or, you know, and so for you, you're like, you just, you can't keep your mind focused and listening to God. Or maybe for you, it doesn't have so much to do with like falling asleep or, you know, distractions. Maybe for you, it has to do with like for prayer. You're like, okay, God, I need you to speak to me and give me a sign. Like if if you would just give me a sign. And for you, it has to do with like all of the circumstances in your life. And And it's sort of like, okay, if I get a good parking spot at work today, that means this, you know, or, or like if my boss smiles at me, like I know, I know like that, that's, that's the sign. That's the sign I'm looking for. Promotion is coming or like, or like you, you overly read your fortune cookies if you're honest and you're like, God speaks through the fortune cookie. I know. And, and for some of us, like that's, that's how we listen. And we're like, God, he, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna give me a sign. And then there are others of us that when it comes to prayer, our struggle isn't necessarily like hearing what God wants us to do or discerning the circumstances or staying awake or, you know, moving out all of the distractions. For us, it has more to do with, we're just not totally sure like how to pray. And, and when we think, we think about it, we're like, well, gosh, I feel like I need to go through some sort of like spiritual fine tuning class or, or I need to like read a special book, like here's how to pray. And we sort of like, we've got prayer as this big mystical thing. And we're like, I just haven't gone through the right classes yet. And if I go through the right classes, then I'll know how to pray. In fact, this is a true story. When I was in college, uh, I went to a Christian college and one evening we were in the dining hall, a bunch of friends of mine, and we were sitting around this table and one of my girlfriends said, hey, does anybody want to pray for dinner? And I was like, hey, I'll do it. No problem. So we all, you know, prayed real quick and I was like, Lord, thanks for this food. Help us to not get too sick because of it, you know, and, you know, like, and, and, and thank you. And I got done and my friend Amy was like, Jeannie, that was a great prayer. And I was like, thanks. She was like, did you learn that in prayer 101? And I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, yeah, did you learn how to pray like that in prayer 101? And like, I started to like this little anger started to rise up in me. And I was like, what is she talking about? Do I actually attend a school that teaches us how to pray? And like this little righteous anger started, you know, like to rise inside of me. And she's like, yeah, it's this class. Every one of us has to take it, you know, and it's like, they make sure that, you know, whatever situation we're in, we know exactly how to pray. You know, like if somebody's sick, you'll know how to pray for them. You know, like before a meal, like you just did, you'll know how to pray before the meal. You know, if, if you're like in a situation where, you know, you're in a Bible study and somebody says, I just don't know what to do, you'll know how to pray for them. And I'm literally listening to her thinking, what kind of crackerjack school did I attend? You know, like... I cannot believe there is a prayer class here. And I mean, I was really like getting frustrated. And she was like, she's like, do you want me to like give you an example of some of the prayers that they teach us in our class? And I was like, sure, I guess. And so she's like, let's all bow our heads. And so, I mean, we're sitting at this table and I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of this school? Like, I've got to, I got to leave. And so we all bow our heads and she's like, dear God, Thank you so much for our sweet sister, Jeannie. Lord, please help her. She struggles with being so gullible and believing everything that we say. And I was like, I can't believe you did that, you know? And and I was so mad. And, you know, and she had like taken me through this whole thing that we had to take a prayer one-on-one class. But if we're honest, I think some of us, we're like, I wish there was a prayer one-on-one class. 
Like, I, I wish I could go through a class and, like, somebody could teach me how to pray, or be, pray because, like, if I'm in a setting and I'm in a Bible study or I'm, I'm with a group of people and they say, like, would you pray? You, like, get sweaty palms. You, like, freak out. You're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to use, like, the word thou or thee. Like, do I need to address God in a certain way? You know, and, and the thing is, is that that emotion is not all that different from the disciples, the disciples actually, they had a similar emotion in scripture. It's found uh, actually in Luke 11.1. 1. It says that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So we see that like e- even the disciples, they found themselves in a situation. Where they were like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to do this. And so they came to Jesus and they're like, listen, you're the son of God. Would you teach us how to pray? And the interesting thing about prayer is that regardless of our experience with prayer, whether you know what to pray or, or whether you know like what, what you want God to say to you or the kind of answer that you long for him to give or, or whether it is that you know, you like, you've got to move all the distractions out or, or whether you're afraid of falling asleep, I don't know if any of us comes to God without a certain preferred desire of what he's going to tell us to do. The fascinating thing about prayer is that regardless of how you pray, regardless of whether you do pray, you all, all of us, come to God with a certain preference. We come to God hoping to persuade him to sort of like change his mind a little bit. Like, God, I, I've, got a, I've got a bit of an inside look into my life because I live it, you know. And here's what I think you should do. I love listening to kids pray because often for them, they say out loud exactly what they want God to do. There's no like, you know, like, Lord, you know, if you get around to it, this might be a good suggestion as to how you should answer my prayer. Kids just pray exactly what they're thinking. There was this three-year-old once that said, dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but I prayed for a puppy instead. I mean, it was like, listen, I'm glad that you brought this kid in, but what I was looking for was a puppy. Or uh, I heard this other story um, about a four-year-old that prayed, our father who does art in heaven, (laughs) literal art in heaven, Harold is his name. (laughs) And then he finished up the prayer by saying, um, and forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. (laughs) Amen. I love it. I mean, it was so literal how he exactly prayed. And then uh, I ha- this mom told me a story once, and I love this. Um, she was preparing pancakes for her sons one morning, and they were sort of sitting at the breakfast table. And uh, she had two kids. Uh, uh, Kevin was five, and Ryan was three. And uh, the boys started to argue over who was going to get the first pancake. And so the mom was like, okay, you know, like, this is a good opportunity. I'm going to teach them a little lesson, you know, teach them, you know, what would Jesus do? And, and so she was like, you know, boys, you know, if Jesus were sitting here at the table with us, he would probably say, uh, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. And so Kevin, the older kid, actually turned to his younger brother, Ryan, and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> and, and I love it because I think if we're honest, if we're really honest about it, we sort of have a similar approach to prayer, don't we? I mean, we come to prayer hoping to change God's mind a little bit, you know? We come with this like preferred sense like, God, this is what I would like you to do. I'll throw in this sort of half-hearted, you know, let your will be done. Uh, But God, really, this would be a great way for you to answer my prayer. In fact, if you've ever heard someone like in a setting, maybe it was in Bible study or something like that, and, you know, the person that's leading it is like, you know, does anybody have any prayer requests? Oftentimes what happens is people will give a prayer request, and they actually give the prayer request with how God should answer the prayer. Like, if someone is sick, they say, you know, what I want is for God to heal this person. Or if someone's struggling, they say, you know, I want God to take away the struggle. Or if someone's hurting, they say, you know, like, I want God to take away this hurt. Or if someone needs a job, God, you need to give them a job. And I think that many of us have almost developed this way of telling God how to do 
his job. And prayer has become this way for us to inform God of how to be God. The prayer isn't this this interaction, it isn't this conversation, but it's our way of going to God saying, God, here's how I need you to be God in my life. And don't get me wrong, because clearly the scriptures say to us, make your requests known to the Father. That we should pray with a sense of boldness and a sense of faith. That we should ask God to do the impossible. But asking God to move and to work is much different than telling God how to do his job. And many of us, that's how we pray. In fact, I believe this is why the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, you got to help us. you got to give us an answer. We're not totally sure how we should pray. And so, literally, Jesus says, then let me give you a model for how you should pray. And uh, as Jarrett said, we've got Bibles in the, uh, the seats in front of you. And I'd love for you to grab it and open it up to Matthew 6. And when the disciples come to Jesus and, w- and when they say to him, um, Lord, we don't, we don't know how to pray. We don't, we don't know what it is that, that we should do. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, he says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I don't know if there is any other passage of scripture that has been quoted more, recited more, studied more, and yet with all of our questions and all of our struggles with prayer, I don't know if there is any other passage of scripture that has been more misunderstood. Probably many of you grew up reciting this passage. Probably many of you grew up hearing this at church. Probably many of you have said this prayer. And Jesus never once in this prayer says, Father, here's how I would like you to do your job. Here's how I'd like you to actually be God in my life. He doesn't say, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't go on to say, give me today my daily bread and maybe even three months backup if you would prefer. You know, that is not how Jesus prays. That's not how he taught us to pray. And the posture of this prayer and really the attitude of Jesus every time we see him going off to pray, every time he does that in the New Testament, we see a posture of humility. It reveals that he longs for the will of the Father to be accomplished in his life. It reveals that there is an actual equation in prayer. That there is one person that prays And there's one person that answers the prayer. That that, that somebody, the way prayer works is that one of us has to be the one praying. And then there's another one that answers the prayer. But so many of us come to God. We literally come to God in prayer. The one who answers prayer saying, here's how you need to answer my prayer. Here's what I'm expecting you to do. But Jesus models something entirely different, doesn't he? He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It reveals that God is much larger. I don't walk around calling any of you hallowed. It reveals that God is much larger than any of us. It reveals that God is Father and we are child. It communicates that Jesus knew. Jesus knew who the authority was. He goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This clearly communicates that Jesus knew that God's kingdom was an upside down kingdom. 
much like what Jarrett taught us last week. That God's will, that God's ways are higher than our understanding and they're higher than our ways. He goes on to say, give us today our daily bread. Jesus only went to the Father asking for the needs of that day. He wasn't worried about what was going to happen tomorrow. He wasn't worried about what was going to happen next week. He didn't fret over the big decisions that were coming up down the road. He asked for his daily bread. He then says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I mean, Jesus was obviously without without sin. He was the son of God. But he modeled a posture of confessing sin, of seeking forgiveness from the Father. He didn't come to the Father complaining about all of the people that had sinned against him. He didn't come to the Father saying, these people hurt me and these people made me angry and these people, you know, they, they, they weren't kind to me. He came actually modeling grace and seeking grace. And then he said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus closed by saying, you need to pray for protection. We never see Jesus telling God, telling his father how to do his job. We see him asking God to reveal his heart. Because prayer is not how we change God's mind. Prayer is not how we change God's mind. Prayer is how God changes our heart. Prayer is how God changes our heart. See, many of us pray hoping God will change things. But often, God wants to change the way we see things. And that happens through the process of prayer. Prayer is not how we change God's mind. Prayer is how God changes our heart. You see, when we start praying with the desire for our heart to be changed, the craziest thing starts to happen. We start to move from a posture of struggling to a posture of releasing. Our heart starts to change. Our attitude starts to change. How we feel about people starts to change. How we perceive the things that happen to us, that starts to change. How we make decisions, that starts to change. When we come to prayer saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know where to go. This struggle feels so overwhelming. This pain is so much. This loss feels too great. God, I don't know how to handle these desires that you've put in my heart. God, I don't know what to do with this. And when we leave a posture of struggling and we move to a posture of releasing, that is the moment when we experience the prayer of relinquishment. It is the prayer that Jesus modeled when he said, not my will, but yours. And that is when we experience four of the most powerful words that Jesus taught us to pray. Your will be done. Your will be done. And you can comb the scriptures. You can literally look from cover to cover of this book. And you can see men and women that God invited to relinquish their own will. Abraham had to relinquish his son Isaac. Moses had to relinquish his desires for Israel. David relinquished the son given to him from Bathsheba. Mary relinquished control of her future when she found out that she was going to have a baby. Paul relinquished his control over what his career path was going to be. Jesus himself, the son of God, relinquished his body to the cross for your sins and for mine. Each of these people, Each of these people chose to say, your will be done. Your will be done in my life. And that's a dangerous, dangerous prayer. I mean, it's risky to pray that. Because I think even though many of us would say, I just wish that God would like write it in the clouds what he wants me to do with my life, our humanity Our humanity fights the will of God, doesn't it? I mean, we we fight the will of God. We are often in a silent tug-of-war game of a a give and a take with God, aren't we? 
And to pray like this, I mean, this takes courage. This takes risk. Because if most of us are honest, asking for God's will to be done, it feels scary to us. And we fear what the outcome is going to be. I mean, if we're really being honest, if, if, what if I say, like, God, I relinquish my desire for that particular job? Or, God, I, I relinquish my desire for a baby. Or, God, I relinquish my desire to be married by this date to this person. Or, God, I relinquish my picture of what my bank account should look like. Or, I relinquish my picture of what I think I need to look like. I relinquish my picture of the timing of how I think life needs to play out. Saying your will be done feels very scary and very confusing to many of us. Because oftentimes we find ourselves saying, "Ah, these desires, they're not bad. These are good desires. And why would God ask me to let go of these desires? It's not like I'm desiring to like become like an axe murderer one day. Like I've got good desires. Why would God ask us to relinquish something, especially if it's good? Jesus actually said in John 12, he said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, oftentimes, our vision, our vision of the future, our hope of what life is going to look like, oftentimes, we hold on to it so tightly. We wrap our fingers around it. We white-knuckle ourselves around the picture of how life is supposed to turn out. And oftentimes, that vision is much smaller than what God has waiting for us. We had some friends over the other night, and uh, they were telling us that they were really excited because they, uh, they just purchased some tickets to, uh, to go see you too uh, this, this summer at Soldier Field. And while we were talking, we were chatting, and they were like, have you ever seen you too? And, uh, and Jarrett and I were like, yeah, we actually we have seen them, and it's a pretty cool story. Um, you see, right before we moved to Chicago, you um, too was coming to Atlanta, and Jarrett and I at that point had already made the decision. You know that we were we were moving from Atlanta and we were coming up to Chicago, and uh, we were going to start Soul City Church. and And so we we had sat down and we had this big conversation. We said, "Okay, we need to start living now, as if Soul City Church is in existence. Like we need to radically change our spending." We need to radically change how we live because, you know, that, that money that they put into our bank account every two weeks, that's not going to be here. And, and so we said, okay, we're going to make some radical shifts to how we live. And we had set up a whole plan and we had decided, you know, like, we were going to start to really sacrifice and to live differently. And you uh, too was coming to town and everybody around us, all our friends started talking about how they bought tickets. They're like, are you going? Are you going? And we're like, no, we decided not to do it. Like we made this commitment to cut out, you know, the extras in our life for a while so that we could sacrifice some more. And so, you know, no, we didn't, we didn't buy the tickets and we're not going. And and we were really bummed. We really wanted to go because all our friends were going and, you know, who doesn't love Bono? And, you know, we were like, oh, I wish we could go. And, and, and yet we had made this decision not to go to the concert. Well, the day the concert rolls around and all of our friends, of course, on Facebook, their status update is like, going to see Bono tonight, probably going to hang out with him later, you know, and it's like, yeah, right, whatever, you know, and, and so, you know, like in my heart, I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm glad I'm not going, this is good, you know, we made a wise decision, you know, we didn't need those tickets anyways, you know, and I put on my, I had like written something on my Facebook wall that I was, um, over at uh, our church and, and getting something done. And I had put Buckhead and this girl, it was the place where our church was, and this girl that uh, I knew years ago quickly jumped on my Facebook and she was like, hey, I didn't know you lived in Atlanta. What are you doing tonight? And I quick, you know, replied back. I was like, nothing. <laughs> Wish I was going to the concert, but clearly I'm not. You know? And she's like, let's get together. And I was like, that'd be awesome. So we're going back and forth. And I said, you know, do you want to come over for dinner? 
She said, no, I can't. I got to work tonight. And I was like, okay, do you want to, you want to meet after dinner? And she's like, no, you know, we're leaving right after. Uh, and so I, I'm not going to be able to see you. She goes, but I'll leave you tickets at will call and I'd love to see you. I'm like, tickets at will call. Where, what does she do for a living? You know, and I, I'm, I'm just thinking like, what is she talking about? So I go on to the private message because I felt like nobody else needed to see this anymore. And I was like, Jessica, what do you do for a living? And she, she emailed, she Facebooked me back right away and she's like, oh, I work for you too. And I was like, what? <laughs> Lots of caps, exclamation marks, you know, via Facebook. She's like, yeah, I work for you too. And I, I've been on the tour with them and I set up the, the party. You know that red zone thing? I set up that whole party. She's like, come to the concert tonight. I was like, are you kidding me? You know, and she's like, yeah, I'll, uh, you know, meet me there. And so Jarrett and I, you know, we get a babysitter real quick, and we're so excited. We go to Will Call, and they give us the tickets, and there's no seat assignment. I was like, okay, like, do I have to, like, watch it on a screen in the back room? Like, where are my seats, you know? And I go walking in, and I hand them the tickets, and they're like, oh, welcome to the red zone. And they literally usher me up to the front of the stage. And I'm like, you're Bono, honey. And I I mean, I'm like, good Lord. Like, I can't believe this. Like, I literally, I can touch him. Like, this is unbelievable. And and Jarrett and I are like thinking we're like 17 at a rock concert. We're like, yeah, you know, like totally into it. We're having a great time. They come up, they're like, would you like something to drink? We're like, of course we would, you know. Like, can we get you something to eat? We're like, yes, bring it on, you know. And, And it's amazing. And we're having a great time. And the concert is so much fun. And and those of you that went to the show, he did this, this uh, song, uh, Amazing Grace. And uh, I was listening to it, and it was so incredible. And I had this moment, and I was just listening to him sing. And I felt like the nudge of God sort of say like, hey, hey, listen. You were about ready to pay for that up there. See those seats way up there? You're about ready to buy the nosebleeds. What I have for you is front row, always. And it's free. And I'm standing there, and I'm like, Bono's not even there anymore. I'm having this moment with the Lord, and I'm just like, God, may I never buy a nosebleed ticket ever again in my life. I always am going to believe you're going to give me free tickets to anything, Lord, you know? And, and I'm like, I'm having this moment with God, and it was so incredible. And it was, it was one of those moments where, where God just sort of reminded me, of course what I have for you is better than what you have for yourself. I'm a loving father. If you only knew the desires I had for you, if you only knew the plans I had for you. And so often, the things that you come to me with are nosebleed tickets. You come begging me. You come begging me to give you a nosebleed seat, and I want to give you front and center, and I don't want you to pay a dime for it. I want to give it to you for free. And some of you, your prayers, you literally are at the edge of your seat and you're praying, God, I am about ready to cash it in. I am about ready to buy the nosebleed ticket. Some of you feel so confused. Why would God put such a strong desire in my heart and then not fulfill it? Some of you have such a big decision to make and you legitimately don't know what God is saying and you feel like you've been praying for what seems like eternity for God to answer your prayer, to change a family member's heart, to heal a past wound, to cure a sickness. No matter what it is, you literally feel like you've been praying it like it's oxygen. And God is saying to you, release it, relinquish it. What I have for you is even more than what you're praying. And I understand this. I understand this prayer so well. There are things that I'm praying in my life right now that that feel overwhelming to me a little bit. There's parts of, of some of the prayers that I'm bringing to God in my life right now where I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. And if you don't tell me, and if you don't talk to me, I'm about ready to buy the nosebleed ticket. 
There are things with, with our kids and, and their schooling next year and, and what we're supposed to do. And, and I legitimately, my, my moments in prayer with God sometimes are like, Lord, I don't know what to do. Or there, there's leadership decisions that I need to make and, and things that are way out here in the future, but, but the, the decision that I make right now will affect this out here. And, and there's those moments where I'm like, Lord, I'm not sure what to do. Will you tell me what to do? And I find so much comfort. I find so much comfort in the scriptures. It says in the book of Romans that in the same way, Romans 8, 26, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Because that weakness that you feel about that prayer that you're praying, it says that the spirit of God helps us in our weakness. That when we don't know what we ought to pray for, to pray for, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And that should give us great hope. Because even, even when we feel like we're praying more of my will be done instead of your will be done, the Holy Spirit even can intercede for us on our behalf to say, God, send your will into their life. Send your will into their life. You know, I said at the beginning of this message um, that my prayer for us, and I've been praying this throughout the week, is that we as a community, that we as a young church, would begin to pray, your will be done in my life. And I don't know what it is for you. But I wonder, would you be willing, would you be willing to start to pray that prayer? Your will be done in my job, God. Your will be done in my finances. Your will be done in my relationships. Your will be done in my fears. Your will be done in my desires. Your will be done in my future. Your will be done in my family. Your will be done. Not my will, God, but your will. Not what, not what I'm coming to the table and wanting. But God, help me, help me to see what it is that you want so that I can desire what you want. A few months ago, uh, when we had that huge blizzard of, uh, of 2011, uh, I actually uh, was scheduled to fly to California on the day of the blizzard. And I was sitting at O'Hare, and uh, our plane was literally the last flight scheduled to leave O'Hare. And we were sitting, you know, in the, in the area, and uh, we, were, we were actually waiting. We were delayed a little bit, and part of the reason we were delayed is because they couldn't find our pilot, which is a whole other story. I never understand when they say, we're looking for our flight attendants, or we're looking for our pilots. I'm like, are they playing hide-and-go-seek in O'Hare? Like, what, what's going on here? It's another story. But so I'm sitting there, and they're looking for our pilot, and so we're delayed. And while we're sitting there, I'm sitting next to a woman. And uh, the whole time that we were sitting there, I, I sort of uh, overheard the conversation that she was having on the phone. And she was going between a conversation with her nanny, with her pediatrician, and with her husband. And she sort of like kept going in and out. And I sort of uh, picked up from the conversation that she had a nine-month-old at home. And her nine-month-old was very, very sick. And I could tell in her voice that she was really worried and I could tell in her voice that she was really concerned and she didn't know what to do. And here she was sitting in O'Hare. She was scheduled to go out on a business trip. She couldn't have gotten home because the blizzard was starting to come. And I could tell, I could just sense that she was really worried and didn't know what to do. And I was sitting there and I was trying not to overly eavesdrop. And uh, I got this sense and I felt like um, God just sort of whispered and, and nudged me a little bit and was like, you should pray for her. I was like, okay, that's a good idea. I should pray for her. And so I just sort of like, I started to pray for her and I started to pray for, you know, her to have peace and for her wisdom. And like, I felt God sort of nudge me again, like, no, you should pray for her. Ask her if you can pray for her. And I was like, Lord, seriously, this is weird. We're in O'Hare. She's clearly like, 
upset about some things. Like, what if she says no? This could be uncomfortable. Like, what if I then have to sit next to her on the plane? And what if she wants to talk to me the whole time? You know, like, and so I was like, I was like, okay, Lord, really? And I just, I felt that nudge. And I was like, okay, I need to pray for her. So she finally hung up the phone. And I was like, I know this may seem strange, um, but I was, I was wondering if I could pray for you. I, I, I didn't mean to eavesdrop, but I, I noticed that, um, is it your little boy? Is he sick? And um, she's like, yeah. And I was like, I totally know what that feels like. I have two kids, you know, and, and when they're sick, there's, you know, there's nothing worse when you don't know what to do. And I was like, would you, would you mind if, if I prayed for you? She was like, oh, yes, please. That would mean so much to me. I was like, okay. Um, and then I, I felt like the nudge of God sort of again be like, offer to hold her hand. And I was like, Lord, seriously, <laughs> that is so weird. I am not going to ask her to hold my hand, you know. And, and then I was like, okay, I'm literally fighting with God over this, <laughs> you know. And so I was like, do you mind if I hold your hand? And she's like, no, that, that would be so great. And, and so I was like, well, well, let me pray for us. And I, and I held her hand and I was like, you know, God, just um, be with this woman. And, and I prayed for, for her husband and for her nanny. And I prayed for, you know, her to know what to do and that God would give her peace. And, um, you know, that, that she would have wisdom knowing what to do for her little boy. And um, when we got done, she said, thank you so much. I really needed to be reminded that God's in control. She looked at me and she's like, he is, isn't he? I was like, he totally is. He's totally in control. And a few minutes later, um, the, the flight attendant person came over the loudspeaker again and was like, we found the pilot, we can board the plane. And, and she looked at me, she's like, did you pray for that? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, no, I didn't really, but, you know, and um, here's the thing. You could have been doing a lot of other things tonight. You could have gone out to dinner, could have hung out with some friends, could have, like, numbed your mind and watched some television. You came to church. And my hunch is you came for one of two reasons. You came maybe to see some people, see some friends. But my hunch is the deep underlying thing is you came because you wanted to hear from God. You came because you want God to speak to you. You want to hear his voice. You want to know what it is that he has for you. You want to be reminded of truth. You want to be reminded that he cares for you. You want to be reminded that he is a good and loving, heavenly father. And that desire that you keep coming to him with, it's a good desire. But that desire, he longs to even take that desire and to give you so much more. And the question that he's asking you and the question that he's asking me is will you be willing to say your will be done? Your will be done in my life, God. Your will be done in the timing of my life. Your will be done in the finances of my life. Your will be done in the relationships of my life. Your will be done in the fears of my life. Your will be done in the past hurts of my life. Your will be done in that family member's life. Your will be done in my life. And so I'm going to ask you right now to just bow your head. And I would love for you to just sort of lock your mind around whatever it is, whatever it is in your life that you keep praying. My will instead of your will. You know what it is. I probably don't even need to run through a list of things. It might be your future. It might be schooling. It might be job. It might be a boss that you just literally are like, oh. And will you have enough boldness right now and enough courage and enough risk 
Say, God, I am trading in my will right now. I'm trading it in. I am putting it down at your feet because I believe you are a good, loving, heavenly Father. And I'm asking God that you would awaken, that you would awaken inside of me your will in my life. God, I am trading in my will for your will. And so just pray those words to God right now. Father, with boldness and with courage and with risk, as a community of believers, we come to you right now, echoing the words of Jesus, the words that he taught us to pray. Your will be done in our life, God. We don't come to you right now, Father, asking you to change your mind over something. God, we come to you asking you to change our hearts. Your will be done in our life. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And what we're going to do for the next few moments is we're going to worship God and we're going to praise him and we're going to sing to him. And one of the ways that we worship around here is that we actually uh, we receive an offering It's a way for us to say to God, we trust you with our resources. We trust that you are in control. And so if those of you that came tonight uh, prepared and ready to give, I encourage you to do that uh, as the offering buckets go past. And then after that, one of the things that we do here on a regular basis at Soul City Church um, is we believe in the act of praying our prayers so that our prayers can be remembered before God. And if over the next few moments after we receive the offering and while we're worshiping, you are prompted to go up to one of these pillars in the room, you can see that there's already a bunch of prayers on these pillars, um, and we're going to always keep them that way. We feel like uh, prayers look much better than gray paint. And if you're prompted to just go up and to write, you know, God, I am praying for your will to be done in my life through this or through that, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to just go up and to write it down, to sort of cement it between you and God on a nice big fat cement pillar. Um, And nobody's going to like take a picture. And if you're not doing it in like six weeks, send it to you on Facebook saying, you know, like, hey, you said. Um, It's an opportunity between you and God to cement that you are praying for his will to be done in your life. So let's worship.